Blog Talk Radio. we come together again for another installment of the Final Word Podcast tonight, Sunday, February 21st on blogtalkradio.com as we discuss current events, politics, and hot-button issues. Thank you to all the listeners and members of both our Facebook discussion page at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Final Word Podcast and our Twitter followers at the Final Word POD who kept the conversation going during the week. And special thanks to all of our listeners at home who join us live tonight or download our show through both blogtalkradio.com and on iTunes. As always, we we appreciate your support. I'm Angel, your host of the Final Word Podcast. Listeners on blogtalkradio.com can call in tonight and share their thoughts on our stories and topics at 347-826-7899. 347-826-7899. And let's see who gets the final word. As the race for the Democratic presidential candidate nomination continues, I wanted to host a show introducing my family, friends, and listeners to Senator Bernie Sanders. Tonight, we will give you an overview of his campaign, his plans as president, his record, and the charges made against him by his opponents as we face the many issues ahead of us in the upcoming 2016 election. Bernie Sanders is a Democratic candidate for president. In 2006, he was elected to the U.S. Senate after 16 years as Vermont's sole congressman in the House of Representatives. Sanders, now serving his second term in the U.S. Senate after winning re-election in 2012 with 71% of the vote. Sanders also served as chairman of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. In 2015, Democratic leadership tapped Sanders to serve as the caucus-ranking member on the Senate Budget Committee. Sanders lives in Burlington, Vermont with his wife, Jane, He has four children and seven grandchildren. Just who is Senator Bernie Sanders? On April 29, 2015, Democratic Socialist Junior Senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, announced that he was running for president. Despite being the longest standing independent in Congress, many people had never heard of this far left candidate. So we wanted to know, who is Bernie Sanders? Well, despite his 16-year tenure as Vermont's only House representative, followed by his eight years as U.S. Senator, Sanders is still considered somewhat of an outcast in Washington. His long-standing voting record has regularly been at odds with the dominating political climate. 
He has voted against the 2002 Iraq War Resolution, the Patriot Act, the Bush-era tax cuts for the wealthy, and the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act. In turn, he sponsored the Global Warming and Pollution Reduction Act, pushed for an audit of the Federal Reserve, and has repeatedly supported medical marijuana legislation. The 73-year-old candidate is also a self-admitted socialist and has pointed to the high-quality Scandinavian social system as an example of effective policy. As a candidate, Sanders has outlined a number of initiatives he would tackle. Among them are efforts to break up the too-big-to-fail banks, raising minimum wage, expanding union power, and promoting a single-payer health care system. However, Sanders has been criticized on his voting record against the implementation of the child abduction Amber Alert system, as well as his views on gun rights. And despite his progressive track record and policy ideas, Sanders will be competing with political heavyweight Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. Many political analysts, including those who support him, have suggested that he is unlikely to win the primary. Still, some say that by officially entering the presidential arena, his progressive stance could force Clinton to revise some of her more moderate positions to the left. This is particularly relevant as a look at their top donors would suggest that Clinton and Sanders have distinctly separate priorities. Clinton's top donors are primarily banks like Citigroup and J.P. Morgan Chase, along with media conglomerates Time Warner and Cablevision. On Sanders' Ella. side, nearly all of his top donors are comprised of auto, teaching, and labor unions. Additionally, 61% of Sanders' donations are made up of individual contributions of less than $200 compared to Hillary's 28% during her 2008 run for candidacy. So who is Bernie Sanders? Well, clearly he's a man of the people, but his socialist democratic policies may turn many traditional voters off. I'm going to spend the first half of tonight's show overviewing his campaign on income inequality wealth inequality, as well as how he plans to pay for his proposal. You'll find that's the argument most anti-Sanders activists on social media tend to put out there. So let me give you an overview of Bernie Sanders' campaign. It's the simple truth that in America we have millions and millions of working people who are working hard but are not making enough money to put bread on the table or to take care of their kids, and that has got to end. Today, all over America, you got mom working, you got dad working, occasionally you have the kids working, and we still don't have enough money to pay the bills. Something is fundamentally wrong about that. The problems we face did not come down from the heavens. They are made, they are made by bad human decisions. And good human decisions can change them. It is time that the United States of America joined the rest of the industrialized world and guaranteed health care to all people as a right, not a privilege. Given the incredible wealth and income inequality in America today, we need fair elections, which means public funding of elections. My Republican friends just decided to put another $38 billion into the military. Maybe we can cut military spending a little bit and put it into education. A hundred years ago, women didn't even have the right to vote. Change takes place because people struggle. Within the next month, I will introduce legislation 
that will make every public college and public university tuition free. I am in this business because I have four beautiful kids and I have seven beautiful grandchildren. And like you, I want to make sure that the world that we leave them is a beautiful world where people can live full and dignified lives. I don't want to see a world where people are struggling and stepping all over each other. And we can do it. We can provide health care to all of our people. We can create decent paying jobs. We can reverse climate change and transform our energy system. We can raise wages. We can make sure that every person in this country gets the education they need and desire. This is not some type of utopian dream. It can happen. It really can. But it will not happen unless we stand up and fight back for not only ourselves, but for our kids and future generations. Let's do it. Here are three quotes I found that Senator Sanders has said during the debates about income and wealth inequality. There's something profoundly wrong when one family owns more wealth than the bottom 130 million Americans. The reality is that for the past 40 years, Wall Street and the billionaire class has rigged the rules to redistribute wealth and income to the wealthiest and most powerful people in this country. This campaign is sending a message to the billionaire class. You can't have it all. You can't get huge tax breaks while children in this country go hungry. You can't continue sending our jobs to China while millions are looking for work. You can't hide your profits in the Cayman Islands and other tax havens while there are massive unmet needs on every corner of this nation. Your greed has got to end. You cannot take advantage of all the benefits of America if you refuse to accept your responsibility as Americans. Demanding that the wealthy and large corporations pay their fair share in taxes. As President, Sanders wants to stop corporations from shifting their profits and jobs overseas to avoid paying U.S. income taxes. He will create a progressive estate tax on the top 0.3% of Americans who inherit more than $3.5 million. He will also enact a tax on Wall Street speculators who cause millions of Americans to lose their jobs, homes, and life savings. Another thing Sanders is proposing, and a lot of people will argue against, increasing the federal minimum wage from $7.25 to $15 an hour by 2020. You heard that last part, right? Everyone will always make the argument, there's no way Sanders is going to ever raise our minimum wage. You know, I'm not going to vote for him. He's, he's not doing it right away. It's going to take him a good four years in order to build up enough money to redistribute it for people to be able to raise their wage. Joining me now is Senator Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont. He's a member of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Senator, why can't we get a a reasonable minimum wage. What is stopping us from getting a $10 minimum wage? Lay it out for me. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I don't want to break the bad news to you. A majority of Republicans are not only opposed to raising the minimum wage, a majority of the Republicans right now believe we should abolish the concept of the minimum wage. And if in a city like Detroit or other high unemployment areas, you can get people to work three, four, five bucks an hour, that would be acceptable to them. 
So what you got is a raid against us, a lot of big money interest, a lot of Republicans who do not believe in quote-unquote government regulation, which means a minimum wage, and that's the problem that we have. Is, when you talk about big money, I mean, when you're, when you're trying and you've been trying, you've been working on this issue, I know you support this legislation, you've been working on raising the minimum wage, who, who is on the other side of the fight? Because, you know, this is an intensely lobbied uh, bill in Congress when it does happen. Who is sitting across the table from the Bernie Sanders of the world saying, Please, do not raise this when that fight happens? Well, companies like Walmart, the Walmart family, here, here's an amazing story. The Walmart family is the wealthiest family uh, in this country, worth about $100 billion, owning more wealth than the bottom 40% of the American people. And yet here's the incredible fact, because their wages and benefits are so low, they are the major welfare recipients in America because many, many of their workers depend on Medicaid, depend on food stamps, depend on government subsidies for housing. So if the minimum wage went up for Walmart, it would be a real cut in their profits, but it would be a real savings, by the way, for taxpayers who would not have to subsidize Walmart employees because of their low wages. What do you say to people that will, will, will look at this and they'll say, this is cynical posturing, this is populism, and if you do this, it's just basic economics, you raise the wage, you constrain labor, and you end up putting people out of work? Well, I would say come to the great state of Vermont. Uh, we have the fourth lowest unemployment rate in the country. I think it's about 4.4%. We have the third highest minimum wage rate, not as high as it should be, but it's $8.60 an hour. I have not heard too many employers in the state of Vermont are telling, that are telling me that the minimum wage is too high and should go lower. Bernie Sanders, independent senator of Vermont, thank you so much. Thank you. Up next, we'll hear from a mother of a three who has to live on eight. No, you won't. You'll hear from me instead. So Bernie Sanders' campaign through BernieSanders.com released a chart of what his proposed tax increases would be on income. And anyone making from $1 to $250,000 a year, your taxes will stay exactly the same. In the 2050 250000 to 464000 a year, you'll see your taxes increase from 33% to 37%. And the highest increase in taxes, those making more than $10 million a year, will see their taxes increase from 396 to 52%, clearly bankrupting America with his horrible socialist ideas. Putting at least 13 million Americans to work by investing $1 trillion over five years towards rebuilding our crumbling roads, bridges, railways, airports, public transport systems, dams, ports, wastewater plants, and other infrastructure needs. I think about the story that we just talked about last week, the crisis in Flint, and how now that's becoming a crisis in Pennsylvania, in Texas, in Arizona, how most of our water systems all have old pipes that collect lead that, if the water isn't filtered properly, will poison us. And it's really important that we start allocating money and changing the tax system so that the wealthiest among us help us will certainly be a benefit because they can afford bottled water. We're going to need to take showers to go to work. Here's Sanders on that. Number one, we need a major investment to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, our roads, bridges, water systems, 
wastewater plants, airports, railroads, schools, etc. It has been estimated that the cost of the Bush-Cheney war in Iraq, a war we should never have gotten into in the first place, will end up costing us some $3 trillion. If we invested $1 trillion in rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, we could create 13 million decent-paying jobs and make this country more efficient and more productive. We need to invest in infrastructure, not in war. Everybody in America understands that our infrastructure is collapsing. No great secret. According to the American Society of Civil Engineers, nearly one quarter of the nation's 600,000 bridges are structurally deficient or functionally obsolete, and more than 30% have exceeded their design life. What that means is that all over this country, bridges are being shut down because they're dangerous, and they need repair. Almost one-third of America's roads are in poor or mediocre condition, and 42% of major urban highways are congested. As we speak, in cities all over America, people are backed up in traffic jams, burning fuel, wasting time, because we don't have a proper infrastructure. The American Society of Civil Engineers says we must invest $1.7 trillion by 2020, five years, just to get our nation's roads, bridges, and transit to a state of good repair. So what happens when we invest in infrastructure? What happens when you do that? Well, I'll tell you what happens. One trillion dollars in, in infrastructure investment not only makes our country more productive and efficient, but it also creates a substantial number of decent paying jobs. A one trillion dollar investment would maintain and create 13 million decent paying jobs. The fastest way to create good paying jobs is to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, and in my view, that should be a very, very high priority for this Congress. Another point he makes in trying to change income and wealth inequality in this country is making tuition free at public colleges and universities throughout America. Now, since the 1980s, we've seen tuition, the cost of tuition, increase by 600% in this country. Insanity. Well, Senator Bernie Sanders actually wants to address that. Income inequality is certainly a major issue in the 2016 presidential race. Hillary Clinton has made headlines over the revelation that she and her, uh, she and her husband, the former president, Bill Clinton, made about $30 million since last year alone in speaking fees, $5 million for the book that she wrote. Listen to what she said about that when she spoke to reporters just a little while ago. On your income disclosure uh, mm -hmm. recently that just came out on Friday, you are in the tip-top echelon of earners in this country. How do you expect everyday Americans to relate to you? Well, obviously, Bill and I have been blessed, um, and uh, we're very grateful for the opportunities that we had, uh, but we've never forgotten where we came from, and we've never forgotten the kind of country that we want to uh, see for our granddaughter, and that means that we're going to fight 
uh, to make sure that everybody has the same chances to live up to his or her own God-given potential. Um, so I think that most Americans uh, understand that uh, the deck is stacked for those at the top, and I am running a campaign that is very clearly stating we want to reshuffle that deck. We want to get back to having more opportunities for more people so that they can make more out of their own lives. All right, let's talk about that and more with the Vermont Senator, uh, Democratic presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders. Senator, thanks very much for coming in. What's your reaction when you hear say that about in income inequality, which is a huge issue for you? Well, it's an issue I've been talking about for many, many years. And I think what we need to do is be very specific about what we are going to do about it. Today, well, 99% of all new income is going to the top 1%. Top one-tenth of 1%. Do you include her in that top 10%, one, one-tenth of 1%? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't know exactly. They may be. But they, I don't know if they're that high. But Is that a problem, though? Is that a problem that she and her husband made $30 million dollars for the past 16 months no, or so, speaking and writing a book. Well, it, it's a problem with the more serious problem is what do we do about the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality in America today? So what do you have to do? What we need to do is create millions of decent paying jobs by rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure. What you need to do is say to the wealthiest people and largest corporations, you know what? You're going to have to start paying your fair share of taxes. You can't stash your money in the Cayman Islands. What you're going to have to do, if you really want to grow the middle class, is say, that everybody in this country, regardless of their income, if they have the ability, they're going to get a college education. And today, I just introduced legislation that would make public, college, public colleges and universities tuition-free. Where's the money going to come from? A tax on Wall Street speculation. And that's exactly where it should come Talk from. about that. What does that mean, a tax on Wall Street speculation? What it means is, right now, uh, you have people who are becoming phenomenally wealthy by speculating in derivatives and every other type of esoteric instrument that they can. Uh, people are getting very rich on Wall Street. What we're going to impose is what exists in dozens of countries around the world, a very modest tax on the transference of large amounts of stock. What does that mean, a very modest? Is that going to pay for tuition-free education? More than that. This is a very effective and progressive way to raise money. The estimate is it could bring in as much as $300 billion a year. Do you think Republicans are going to go along with it? No, of course they're not. Well, then if, they, if they're not going to go along with it, it's not going to become the law. No. Right? Well, I don't think it's going to be passed tomorrow. But I think what we have to do is the American people will go along with it. The American people think it's absurd that our young people are leaving school deeply, deeply in debt and young people can't afford to go to college. Is Hillary Clinton uh, committed to this cause, as are you? Wolf, you have to ask Hillary. Well, what do you think? I don't work for her. I don't know. But you know her. You know her position. Well, I mean, she has to be. I just introduced legislation. I don't know where Hillary Clinton is coming on this. I believe we've got to join Germany, Scandinavia, many other countries around the world say if you have the ability, regardless of your income, you're going to be able to go to college tuition free. So you want to raise taxes? On the very wealthiest people in this country? Absolutely. Raise taxes on the very wealthiest people in this country? Add an additional tax for Wall Street speculators? Closing tax loopholes on estate taxes and artwork? All reasonable answers. I don't know why people are so rigid in their thinking that he's going to come for you and class wages. That's just impossible. So also available on BernieSanders.com is how he plans to pay for his proposals. The Rebuild America Act cost a trillion dollars over 10 years. Taxing corporate offshore income. Underneath that is the bill that would propose that, which was passed in January of 2015. He would like to amend that bill to actually do something. 
the revenue it would bring to this country is over $100 billion over a 10-year period. I'm sorry, over a year period. 10 years is much, much too long. College for all, what we just talked to, cost $75 billion a year. Wall Street speculation tax. The Political Economy Research Institute has assessed that this plan would work if he taxed Wall Street speculation tax. So that would bring in annually $300 billion a year. Social Security Expansion Act cost $1.2 trillion over 10 years. How would he pay for it? Remove payroll tax cap for earnings above $250,000. Revenue, $1.2 trillion over a 10-year period. And this goes on and on and on. Guaranteeing health care is a right of citizenship by enacting a Medicare for all single-payer health care system. Cost, $1.3 trillion a year. Paid for by a 6.2% income-based health care premium paid by employers. A 2.2% income-based premium paid by households. Progressive income tax rates. Taxing capital gains and dividends the same as income from work. Limiting tax deductions for the rich adjusting the estate tax, and savings from health care from health tax expenditures. Revenue, $1.39 trillion a year, which would pay for it. These are all reasonable solutions, but nobody ever seems to find them. Here's Senator Sanders on this very issue. We appreciate the meeting. Uh, I think my goal is to see at the very least uh, that we do have a hearing uh, in the Senate on an issue which is being supported by 15,000 physicians, by millions of people all over the country, and which, in my view, is the only rational solution uh, to providing comprehensive, universal, cost-effective health care to the American people. And the idea that this has not been on the table, and I think Senator Bork has indicated that he thought that that was a mistake, uh, not allowing that hearing, not allowing that discussion. Uh, but we hope to bring forward that discussion, uh, and I'm going to do everything in my power to, to see that we can do that. I had a meeting in, in, in Vermont the other day. A doctor describes writing out prescriptions for patients. One-third of her patients can't fill the prescriptions. Now, how do they, these guys do their jobs? So they want to practice medicine and not be bureaucrats filling out forms. Nurses feel the same way. You've got millions of people all over this country in 50 states who are standing up demanding fundamental changes in our health care system. Uh, we understand also uh, that to do what we have to do, we have to take on, and again, we don't talk about this, in my view, this is not a health care issue. This is a political and economic issue. You have the pharmaceutical industry and the insurance company making billions and billions of dollars every single year off of people's illness. I think that that is immoral, and I think it creates a system which is dysfunctional. And furthermore, these very same institutions, the drug companies, the insurance companies, the medical equipment suppliers, what do they do? They use some of their profits, they pump it back into lobbying campaign contributions, hundreds of millions of dollars over a period of years. That's what we're up against. That's what we're up against. And ultimately, in my view, this is going to be solved in the same exact way. I forgot who said it. It is, it is like the women's struggle. It is like the civil rights struggle. And it's going to be a grassroots effort. And at the end of the day, when millions and millions of people say every American is entitled to health care as a right, and it must be comprehensive, and it must be cost-effective. When that day comes, you're going to have a single-payer system. I think the message is, is the single-payer movement is gaining uh, significant momentum. Now, for all of my friends here who live within the Beltway, I know you don't know that. But when you go out in the real world 
and you go out, uh, and, and obviously not on my own state, I travel all over the country, all kinds of people. And don't think they're just radicals or left-wingers, they are not. I mean, when you're talking about 15,000 physicians, I suspect many of them are not raving socialists, correct? And when you talk about nurses from all over the country, we talk about ordinary people who understand that the current system is not working. Single payer is gaining momentum. Uh, and, and I think what the reason for that is not only the excellent work done by the folks who are here, who've been working on this issue for years, and we've had brilliant leadership from the medical and nursing profession, but you're seeing grassroots uh, activists uh, standing up and spreading the word, uh, and I think uh, that message is resonating. But Angel, a single-payer plan will never work in America because reasons. It will destroy our entire way of life. How do we know it won't work? How do we know? This is the country that sent someone to the moon. Not because there was money up there, although we made many advances to do so, but because we took a challenge and we met that challenge. How do we not know that trying a single-payer plan in a million Americans uninsured before Obamacare, 40 million Americans uninsured? How do we know that a single-payer plan won't benefit all of us in the long run? Don't give it a shot. I find it a little ridiculous that this fear of socialized medicine destroying us. I personally <laughs> I have a doctor here in Florida that I've yet to meet him. Instead, I've met his very nice nurses. But I haven't even seen his face. So, what more should I be expecting of the health care that I get in this country? The fact that what, I may have to pay a bit more to help the next person or those rich people around the corner will have to pay more to help the rest of us, but that's going to destroy the country as we know it. Black Friday will still be here the day after Thanksgiving. You'll still be buying your flat screen television. But maybe the cost of getting a hip replacement won't be $80,000 on your grandmother's back. Here, Senator Sanders also talking about why a single-payer plan would work to Congress. The clip's a little long, but it's very informative. One of the most vocal advocates for the single-payer system in the Senate is Vermont's Bernie Sanders. He says it works around the world, and he recently chaired a Senate subcommittee meeting where Republican Senator Richard Burr pressed a Canadian doctor on that issue. Dr. Martin, in your testimony, you note that Canadian doctors exiting the public system for the private sector has had the effect of increasing waiting lists for patients seeking public health care. Why are doctors exiting the public system in Canada? Thank you for your question, Senator. I, I, uh, if, if I didn't express myself in a way that to make myself understood, I apologize. There are no doctors exiting the public system in Canada. And in fact, we see a net influx of physicians from the United States into the Canadian system over the last number of years. So essentially, thanks. We're fine in Canada. Senator Bernie Sanders joins me now. Appreciate your coming here, Senator Sanders. Always a pleasure to have your insights on the show. My, my pleasure. So, so to start out, we heard that comparison to Canada in your hearing. Where else around the world has a single-payer system worked, in your opinion? Well, Ronan, I think the better question is, how does it happen that the United States of America is the only country in the industrialized world that does not have, in one form or another, a national health care program 
guaranteeing health care to all people. So we end up being the only major country on earth, millions of people who have no insurance, many more who are underinsured with high copayments and high deductibles. We end up spending almost twice as much per capita as many other countries with a national health care program, and our health care outcomes in many respects are worse. So what we are doing is spending more, getting less value, because we have a system in which private insurance companies make huge profits. It is a complicated bureaucratic system where we spend a heck of a lot of money on administration rather than on health care. And of course, we've heard all week from people about the human costs of those complications. But I do want to push back a little bit on the international comparisons because I can tell you I have lived in, for instance, the United Kingdom, where they have a national health care system that is free for all. But where you see the ravages of that on display, there are different people that defend or oppose that system. But I can tell you firsthand there are longer waits, there are a lot of difficulties. You get doctors that aren't up to snuff. That's not even the worst or most dramatic example around the world. What do you say to those that transitioning to a single-payer system is to the detriment of the quality of health care? Well, again, it really depends on which sector of the population you're talking about. Right now, if you are rich in America, there is no argument. You probably get the best health care, cutting-edge technology of any country on Earth. But if you're a working-class person in this country, it is very likely you have no health insurance at all. And what a Harvard study said a couple of years ago is something like 45,000 Americans die each year because they don't get to the doctor when they should. We have people flooding emergency rooms at huge expenses to get episodic care rather than going to a medical home because we don't have anywhere near enough primary care facilities in this country. So I'm not suggesting that other countries have perfect health care systems. None do. But we end up spending much more and we get less value than any other major country on earth. I think we get the profit motive out of health care. We need to guarantee health care to all people as a right, and then we need to do it in a cost-effective way. My own guess is that in the United States, that final decision will not be made in Washington. It will be done at the statewide level. And personally, I hope that my small state of Vermont will lead the nation in showing what a single-payer system can do. So essentially, everyone having access to some health care is important and even if the quality is not perfect that's a goal worth pursuing well, 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 in your well, view. Ronan, I don't accept, it's not a question of having access to some health care, it's having access to all of the health care that you need as a right. And I do not accept, nor I think the many international experts accept, mm -hmm. that for the average person in the UK, the average person in Canada, the average person in Australia, that their health care system provides lower quality health care than do Americans get. I don't think that is the general consensus. So uh, other than the single-payer option, which obviously is divisive in all these ways, but there are a lot of important merits to it as you lay out, what do you feel was left by the wayside in the vicious debate over Obamacare? There were a lot of proposals that were pruned out. Well, I mean, I think in terms of Obamacare, what we should be mindful of is this was a modest uh, concept uh, developed from Republican ideas, free market ideas, which at the end of the day, if you get beyond what our Republican colleagues are harping on, the rollout was terrible. There is no debate. But if you get beyond the rollout to what's important, what you're going to end up with is many, many more people are in fact going to have health insurance. We have done away with the total obscenity. You talk about quality of health care. Until Obamacare, we had this disgrace that if you had a disease, a heart condition, cancer, 
diabetes, you could not get health insurance. That is insane. We heard a story today, a colleague of mine told me a story, that a woman with a 10-year-old kid who had diabetes was rejected for insurance for that kid by 40 different insurance uh, companies. So, you know, that is not quality health care. And, and we've overcome that. We have heard so many moving stories like that through this whole week of uh, the agony of pre-existing conditions not having been able to get coverage. And as many stories as we do hear of people with concerns about Obamacare, we are hearing from a lot of people who are saving costs and getting more health care. Thank you for your impassioned take on this, Senator Bernie Sanders. Appreciate your joining Thank you. us. The last point I'll make about Sanders and his platform against welfare and income inequality is his push to break up huge financial institutions so that they are no longer too big to fail. Seven years ago, the taxpayers of this country bailed out Wall Street because they were too big to fail. Yet three out of the four largest financial institutions are 80% bigger today than before we bailed them out. Sanders has introduced legislation, legislation that breaks these banks up. As president, he will fight to sign this legislation into law. Here is a clip from the MSNBC debate between Senator Sanders and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton on Wall Street and the big banks. Senator Sanders, you have been a critic of Secretary Clinton taking those speaking fees and having uh, donations from Wall Street. What about her defense of her record? Let me just say this. Wall Street is perhaps the most powerful economic and political force in this country. You have companies like Goldman Sachs who just recently paid a settlement fine with the federal government for $5 billion for defrauding investors. Goldman Sachs was one of those companies whose illegal activity helped destroy our economy and ruin the lives of millions of Americans. But this is what a rigged economy and a corrupt campaign finance system and a broken criminal justice system is about. These guys are so powerful that not one of the executives on Wall Street has been charged with anything after paying, in this case of Goldman Sachs, a $5 billion fine. Kid gets caught with marijuana, that kid has a police record. A Wall Street executive destroys the economy, $5 billion settlement with the government, no criminal record. That is what power is about, that is what corruption is about, and that is what has to change in the United States of America. Here comes Let me just say that, of course, it has to change. It has to change, and that's why I have put forward a plan to do just that. And it's been judged to be the toughest, most effective, and comprehensive one. I have great respect for Senator Sanders' commitment to try to restore Glass-Steagall. But I do not believe that that is enough. And in fact, I don't believe it really addresses a lot of the biggest issues we have. 
You know, we now have power under the Dodd-Frank legislation to break up banks. And I've said I will use that power if they pose a systemic risk. But I want to go further because it was investment banks. It was insurance companies. It was mortgage companies, all of which contributed. So let's not just be narrowly focused on one part of the problem. We have a lot of issues with corporate power that have to be addressed. My plan takes us further, and it would do the job. Well, I would say that... Yes, folks who have looked at this issue for a long time, whether it's Elizabeth Warren or many other economists, would tell you that right now, yes, we do need a 21st century Glass-Steagall legislation. And I would tell you also that when you have three out of the four largest banks in America today, bigger than they were, significantly bigger than when we bailed them out because they were too big to fail, I think if Teddy Roosevelt were alive today, a good Republican, by the way, what he would say is break them up. They are too powerful economically. They are too powerful politically. And that is what I believe and many economists believe. Time to break them up. Look, we have a law. Look, you know, I, I appreciate the senator's advocacy. We have a law. It was passed. It was signed by President Obama. It lays out a process that you go through to determine whether a systemic risk is posed. And by the way, President Obama signed that, pushed it through, even though he took donations from Wall Street, because he's a responsible president. So we have a law in place. If the circumstances warrant it, I will certainly use it. And from what you say, I know you will as well. But that is not enough. And I keep going back to this because part of the reason the Wall Street guys are trying so hard to stop me, the hedge fund guys, the shadow banking guys, is because I've got their number on all of that. And my plan goes so much further to try to prevent the problems of the future. You know, we can't just fight the last war. We've got to be prepared to stop these guys if they ever try to use their economic power once again to hurt the economy and to hurt so many Americans. And my plan, Paul Krugman, Barney Frank, a lot of experts who understand what the new challenges might be, have said I am exactly on point, and the Wall Street guys actually know that. So, Senator, in response yeah, to the fact that she has had more people praise her plan than yours. Well, we've got a number of economists supporting our legislation, uh, and here's where we are. The American people can judge. Six largest financial institutions in America today have assets of roughly $10 trillion, 58%, equivalent to 58% of the GDP of the United States of America. That is a lot of money. They issue two-thirds of the credit cards, and by the way, they're ripping off a whole lot of people with high interest rates on the credit cards, and they write about one-third of the mortgages. That is a lot of power for six financial institutions. That's it. I think it is too much power. Too much economic power, too much political power, okay. and the economists that I talk to say we should break. We're going to take a quick break and be back to discuss the second half of our show tonight, the campaign for Bernie Sanders for United States President, where we will discuss his stance on racial justice, Black Lives Matter, political violence, the economy, fighting for women's rights, and social security. Be back after this quick break. Sanders, you have been... Damn you, Rachel Maddow, that is not the break. This is the break. 
You're listening to the Final Word podcast here on blogtalkradio.com. I want to read you two quotes I found from Bernie Sanders on the Black Lives Matter movement and racial justice. We must pursue policies that transform this country into a nation that affirms the value of its people of color, addressing the four central types of violence waged against black and brown Americans, physical, political, legal, and economic. Get into that. Physical violence perpetuated by the state. Quote, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, Rakia Boyd, Eric Garner, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, Tamir Rice, Samuel Dubois. We know their names. Some died unarmed at the hands of police officers or in police custody. The chants are growing louder. People are angry, and they have a right to be angry. We should not fool ourselves into thinking that this violence only affects those whose names have appeared on TV or in the newspaper. African Americans are twice as likely to be arrested and almost four times as likely to experience the use of force during encounters with the police. My question for the candidates is, do black lives matter? Or do all lives matter? The question from Arthur in Des Moines <laughs> well, there is, we go. do black lives matter or do all lives matter? Let's put that question to Senator Sanders. Black lives matter. And the reason, the reason those words matter is the African-American community knows that on any given day, some innocent person like Sandra Bland can get into a car and then three days later, she's going to end up dead in jail. Or their kids are going to get shot. We need to combat institutional racism from top to bottom. And we need major, major reforms in a broken criminal justice system in which we have more people in jail than China. And I intend to tackle that issue to make sure that our people have education and jobs rather than jail cells. Perpetuated by extremists, we are far from eradicating racism in this country. In June, nine of our fellow Americans were murdered while praying in a historic church because of the color of their skin. This violence fills us with outrage, disgust, and a deep, deep sadness. Today in America, if you are black, you can be killed for getting a pack of Skittles during a basketball game. These hateful acts of violence amount to acts of terror. They are perpetrated by extremists who want to intimidate and terrorize black and brown people in this country. Sanders lays out the steps of how he would counter this as president. We must demilitarize our police forces so they don't look and act like invading armies. Invest in community policing. Only when we get officers into the communities, working within neighborhoods, before trouble arises, do we develop the relationships necessary to make our communities safer together. That means increasing civilian oversight of police departments. We need police forces that reflect the diversity of our communities. At the federal level, we need to establish a new model police training program that reorients the way we do law enforcement in this country. I've said this before a few times that I really believe that Obama will reform the Justice Department before he leaves. 
in order for the Justice Department to begin to change the way police do their job in this country, because I can't see it happening from the bottom up. I can only see it happening from the top down. We need to federally fund and require body cameras for law enforcement officers to make it easier to hold them accountable. Our Justice Department must aggressively investigate and prosecute police officers who break the law and hold them accountable for their actions. We need to require police officers, departments, and states to provide public records on all police shootings and deaths that take place while in police custody. We need new rules on the allowable use of police officers need to be trained to de-escalate confrontation and to humanely interact with people who have mental illnesses. States and local, local, states and local townships that make progress in this area should get more federal justice grant money. Those that do not should get their funding slashed. We need to make sure the federal resources are there to crack down on the illegal activities of hate groups. Part of our problem is most people don't know about it. Never met him. They don't understand what he was doing in the 60s with Martin. They don't understand. Because I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Why Jesse won Vermont in 1984? It was very courageous for Manila Club, the fundamental Education rather than incarceration. This is what I think. You have had politicians, and I'm old enough to know this, who played black off against white. So they told white workers who are earning pennies an hour, they said, hey, you think you're in trouble, but you're better off than the blacks. Our job is to build a nation in which we all stand together as one people.
Right now, <laughs> Brother Bernie Sanders talking about Wall Street that domination, trying to answer. get investment in working people and, and poor people. Okay, I'll answer. Best candidate. There's no I'll doubt answer. about that. Right. Senator Bernie Sanders is answering the call to stand up for working class folks and middle class folks in this country to say enough is enough is enough is enough. The countless folks who are in the working poor who work too three jobs at a time and they still can't make ends meet. Enough is enough is enough. Too many Americans in this country are being deprived of health care. The senator says enough is enough is enough. And for the women in this country who are being deprived of their right to control their own bodies, and being honest, you have also now made national news by declaring your support for Bernie Sanders and pulling away from Hillary Clinton. Why just switch? They have unlimited funds for money, and they control much of the media. They are very powerful, but we have something that they do not have. We have a united people. When you stand together, when you say enough, this country belongs to all of us. When we do that, there is nothing we cannot accomplish. Thank you all very much. Wasn't that sweet? I can't think of anyone on the right side of the aisle for this campaign such a healthy and hopeful way. Sanders talking about political violence. In the shameful days of open segregation, literacy laws were used to suppress minority voting. Today, through other laws and actions, such as requiring voters to show photo ID, discriminatory drawing of congressional districts, not allowing early registration or voting, and purging voter rolls, states are taking steps which have a similar effect. The patterns are unmistakable. An MIT paper found that African Americans waited twice as long to vote as whites. Wait times of as long as six or seven hours have been reported in some minority precincts, especially in swing states like Ohio and Florida. Just in Nevada, in this primary alone, we saw that voters were with handicaps were unable to stay online because those polling places didn't have adequate staff to take their information. 13% of African American men have lost the right to vote due to felony convictions. This should offend the conscience of every American. We need to reenfranchise the more than 2 million African Americans who have had their right to vote taken away by a felony conviction. Congress must restore the Voting Rights Act's preclearance provision, which extends protections to minority voters in states where they were cleared needed, clearly needed. We must expand the act's scope so that every American, regardless of skin color or national origin, is able to vote freely. We need to make Election Day a federal holiday to increase voters' abilities to participate. We need to make early voting an option for voters who work or study and need the flexibility to vote on evenings or weekends. 
we must make no-fault absentee ballots an option for all Americans. Every American over 18 must be registered to vote automatically so that students and working people can make their voices heard at the ballot box. We must put an end to discriminatory laws and the purging of minority community names from voting rolls. We need to make sure that there are sufficient polling places and poll workers are to prevent long lines from forming at the polls everywhere. Sorry, I read poll workers and I just imagined somebody spinning down a poll. Legal violence. Senator Sanders. Millions of lives have been destroyed because people are in jail for nonviolent crimes. For decades, we have been engaged in a failed war on drugs with racially biased mandatory minimums that punish people of color unfairly. <clears throat> Thank you, President Clinton. It is an obscenity that we stigmatize so many young Americans with a criminal record for smoking pot, but not one major Wall Street executive has been prosecuted for causing the near collapse of our entire economy. This must change. We must reform our criminal justice system to ensure fairness and justice for people of color. What we need to do is ban prisons for profit, which results in an over-incentive to arrest, jail, and detain in order to keep prison beds full, failed war on drugs, and eliminate mandatory minimums, which result in sentencing disparities between blacks and white people. We need to invest in drug courts and medical and mental health interventions for people with substance abuse problems, because that is a health concern, so that they don't end up in prison, they end up in treatment. We need to boost investments for programs that help people who have gone to jail rebuild their lives with education and job training. We must finally abolish civil asset forfeiture programs, which allow police departments to seize property from people who have not been convicted of a crime and profit off of such seizures. Here's Senator Sanders on police and the changes that need to be made. The good news is that you are hearing more and more about that issue. The good news is you're hearing about Ferguson, you're hearing about Baltimore, you're hearing about New York City, you're hearing about elsewhere. The bad news is if you think that these issues have just occurred in the last year or two, mm. you'd be sorely mistaken. Mm. The truth is that for many, many decades, uh, there have been, there have been situations where police officers have treated prisoners terribly, and in some cases, absolutely unjustly kill them, all right? What do we have to do? We have to do a number of things. Uh, for a start, uh, and maybe most importantly, uh, we have to recognize, and I'm a former mayor, and I work very closely with the police. They have a tough job. Anyone thinks being a cop is an easy job is mistaken. It is a tough job. You gotta respect them. They need to be well paid. They need to be well trained. But, but, if a police officer does something wrong, and I think we saw that tape in South Carolina, right? And that police officer was indicted. Police officers, like anybody else, have got to be held accountable for their actions. Yes. They break the law. They break the law, they have got to be held accountable. The second issue, I am very concerned. When you see uh, the TV in Ferguson and elsewhere, where these police departments look like they are part of an army, an invading army, with all types of very heavy-duty military equipment. When I was mayor of Burlington, we worked hard 
uh, to do what we call community policing. And what, community, what community policing is about is it has, in a sense, it makes police officers part of the community so that they know the names of the people in the community, so that people trust them. So they're out there maybe playing ball with the kids. And when there's a problem in the community, they can go to the police officer. And that's what I would like to see all over this country. So we need efforts to integrate, in a sense, police officers into our community to end this business about police officers being seen as oppressors. We need to help hold police officers accountable when they do illegal behavior, absolutely. And the other thing that we need to do, by the way, which is not talked about, is when you look at a town like Ferguson and everybody focused on police brutality, do you know what African-American youth unemployment in that town is? Somewhere around 50%. And we're going to continue to have problems in this country if millions of kids cannot get jobs, cannot be involved in constructive activity. So all of those things are related. But at the end of the day, we are spending tens and tens of billions of dollars. We have more people in jail than any other country. And we're spending huge amounts of money on that. I would much prefer to invest in police training, good training, to invest in education, to invest in jobs for our young people. That is the best way to that. by saying what I said at the beginning. The political revolution is not me, it is you. And let's go forward together and transform this country. Let's win New Hampshire. Thank you all very much. The political revolution is not me, it's you here. His opponent used that kind of language. Senator Sanders on economic violence. It is necessary to try to address the rampant economic inequality while also taking on the issues of societal racism. We must simultaneously address the structural and institutional racism which exists in this country, while at the same time we vigorously attack the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality, which is making the very rich much richer, while everyone else, especially those in our minority communities, are becoming poorer. What do we do? We need to give our children, regardless of their race or their income, a fair shot at attending college. That's why all public universities should be made tuition-free. We must invest $5.5 billion in a federally funded youth employment program to employ young people of color who face disproportionately high unemployment rates. Breach. Knowing that black women earn $0.64 cents on the dollar compared to white men, we must pass federal legislation to establish pay equity for women. We must prevent employers from discriminating against apps on criminal history. We need to ensure access to quality, affordable childcare for working families. Here's Sanders on fair wages. There is another injustice that we must address in men. Talking to the guys now. Stand with the women and demand pay equity for women workers. Thought that would be longer. Despite 
major advances in civil and political rights, our country still has a long way to go in addressing the issues of gender inequality. Many of the achievements that have been made for women's rights in the 20th century have been under attack by the Republican Party, denying women control over their very own bodies, preventing access to vital medical and social services, and blocking equal pay for equal work. What does Sanders plan to do? Number one, fight for equal pay for women. It is a national disgrace that women earn 78 cents for every $1 a man earns. The gender pay gap is even worse for women of color. Today, as we said, women, African-American women earn 64 cents for every dollar a white male earns, while the figure for Hispanic women is just 54 cents. As president, Senator Sanders will sign the Paycheck Fairness Act into law to end discrimination based on gender. Two, expand and protect the reproductive rights of women. Sanders has consistently fought against Republican attacks on the fundamental rights of women to control their own bodies. As president, he would expand, not cut funding for Planned Parenthood, the Title X Family Planning Program, and other initiatives that protect women's health, access to contraception, and the availability of a safe and legal abortion. Here's Sanders on women's rights. 30, 40 years ago, you had one or two members of the United States Senate who were women. Today, you have had, we have had states where governor is a woman, senators are women, members of Congress are women, and while we still have a long, long way to go to break down sexist barriers in this country, nobody would deny that we have come a long way. I remember when I was mayor, I appointed the first woman police officer back in the 1980s. What a big deal that was. Walk around Capitol Hill today, it's not such a big deal. Overcome huge barriers in terms of sexism. In Vermont and all across this country, there is growing frustration that members of Congress, mostly men, I should add, are trying to roll back the clock on women's reproductive rights in this case, the right of women to receive contraceptive services through their insurance plans. This attack is grossly unfair, and I hope that men will stand with women in the fight to protect this very basic right. And let me add my strong belief that if the United States Senate had 83 women and 17 men, rather than 83 men and 17 women, my strong guess is that a bill like this would never even make it to the floor. Two years ago, Congress passed a health care reform that will expand health care access for over 30 million Americans who are uninsured, as well as millions of Americans who are covered through their employer. This bill is by no means perfect. I would go further, but it is a step forward in allowing us to catch up with the rest of the industrialized world that guarantee health care to all of their people as a right. Unfortunately, the amendment we are discussing today, Senator Blunt's amendment, would undermine much of the progress being made for women's health care through a new version of a so-called conscience exemption. Not just content to attack women's rights, Mr. Blunt's amendment would go even further and seeks to deny patients access to any, to any essential health care service their employer or insurance company objects to based simply on the employer's, quote, 
religious beliefs and moral convictions, end of quote. This amendment would especially have an adverse impact on women's health. Starting in August, women enrolled in new plans will have access to a range of preventative services at no cost. But allowing the kind of extreme so-called conscious clause included in the Blunt Amendment would allow an employer to refuse coverage of contraceptives, annual well-woman visits, or even treatments for both genders like mental health services or HIV AIDS treatment based not on a doctor's recommendation but on the religious belief or moral conviction of a person's employer. Four more things Sanders' campaign would do as president, and then I'm going to play for you a clip of Sanders talking about Social Security. And we'll take a short break, and I will wrap things up for you tonight. Thanks for staying with me. All my callers on my line, by the way, I see you all in my queue, and I've talked to most of you. If you do want to come through and say something, you are welcome. Sanders, only nominate Supreme Court justices who support Roe v. Wade and the reproductive rights of women. How appropriate, considering that Justice Scalia finally passed away. As president, Senator Sanders will only nominate Supreme Court justices who understand that Roe v. Wade is the law of the land and recognize the rights of women to have access to family planning services. Make quality childcare and pre-K available to all Americans. Sanders is working on a plan to make high-quality childcare and pre-K available to every American. In some places, pre-K, like in Florida, is voluntary. Regardless of income, it is unacceptable that the cost of a quality childcare program is out of reach for millions of Americans. Five, expand the WIC program for pregnant mothers and infants. As the ranking member of the Budget Committee, as the ranking member of the Budget Committee, Sanders helped lead the effort in the Senate against Republican attempts to cut the WIC program that provides nutrition assistance to pregnant mothers, women, and infants. As President, Sanders would substantially increase funding for this program so that every low-income mother and her children would receive the nutrition they need to live healthy lives. Lastly, expand Social Security. 65 is knocking on all our doors, maybe not as loudly as it is for others, but it's coming. That train is never late. As president, Senator Sanders will fight to expand Social Security benefits by an average of $65 a month, increasing cost of living adjustments, keep up with rising medical and prescription drug costs, and expand the minimum Social Security benefit to lift seniors out of poverty. Women will benefit the most by expanding Social Security. More than twice as many elderly women lived in poverty than men in 2013. Without Social Security, nearly half of all elderly women would be living in poverty. Mr. President, the average Social Security benefit today is just $14,000 a year. And as someone who will be the next ranking member of the Budget Committee, I intend to do everything I can, not only to oppose vigorously any efforts to cut Social Security, I'm going to do everything that I can to expand Social Security benefits. And, in fact, the best way to expand Social Security is to ask the wealthiest people in our country to pay more into the system by scrapping the cap on income 
that is subject to the Social Security payroll tax. Mr. President, as you know, right now, a billionaire pays the same amount into Social Security as someone who makes $117,000 a year. You've got a multimillionaire here, somebody's making $50 million, somebody's making $117,000. They both contribute the same amount into the Social Security Trust Fund. This is regressive, this is unfair, this is absurd. If we lifted this cap and applied the Social Security payroll tax to income above 250,000, not 117, but 250,000 a year, we could, not we could not only extend the solvency of Social Security for decades to come, which is what we want to do, but we could also provide the resources necessary to expand Social Security benefits. And that is exactly what we should be doing, and that, in fact, is what the American people want us to do. Uh, Mr. President, an August 2014 poll by Lake Research Partners asked likely voters if they support the idea of, quote, increasing Social Security benefits and paying for that increase by having wealthy Americans pay the same rate into Social Security as everybody else, end of quotes. And interestingly, this is what the poll found. 90% of Democratic voters said they support the idea, and 75% strongly support that idea of lifting the cap. 73% of independent voters support that idea, 55% strongly support it. 73% of Republican voters support that idea, 47% strongly support it. So there is for that idea enormously strong support across the political spectrum, Democrats, independents, Republicans. Mr. President, sadly, despite this overwhelming support for expanding Social Security, the CEOs at the Business Roundtable, the Business Roundtable is the organization representing the largest corporations in America. They came out with a plan last year which does exactly what the American people do not want to do. American people want to expand Social Security, and the Business Roundtable came out with a plan that would increase the Social Security retirement age from 67 to 70 and severely cut the COLAs, cost of living adjustments of senior citizens and disabled veterans. Mr. President, uh, the Congress and the Senate here have got to make a very fundamental decision, and that is, do we, li listen, do we listen to the American people who are hurting today, the seniors who have worked their whole lives but who just cannot get by in what in many cases are meager and inadequate Social Security benefits? Do we listen to them? Do we stand up for and with the people who helped build this country, who worked the farms, who worked in our factories, who served us in the armed forces? Do we stand with them and expand Social Security, or do we listen to those on Wall Street and corporate America who want to cut Social Security benefits and in some cases want to privatize Social Security. This is a huge issue for tens of millions of Americans. 
And Mr. President, I intend to do everything that I can, not only to resist cuts to Social Security, but to do everything that we can to expand Social Security benefits for those seniors and disabled vets who desperately need that expansion. And with that, uh, Mr. President, I would uh, yield the floor. Another conversation I don't see being had by his opponent. So I'm going to close tonight after I play this last clip on who I'm voting for. I'll give you two guesses and why I'm voting for him. But I found this compilation of reasons why Bernie Sanders may become president. I thought it was a great summary of a lot of what we've talked about and also touched on some things that we didn't address in a 90-minute show. But I want to play it for you now. To announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. He's progressive, independent, and maybe the next president of the United States of America. Some have tried to frame you as this fringe candidate, but a lot of the things you believe are things that uh, the majority of Americans believe. Welcome to WatchMojo.com, and today we're counting down our picks for the top ten reasons Bernie Sanders may actually become president. One million individuals this year will go bankrupt because of medically related costs. That's absurd. For this list, we're counting down the surprising reasons why Sanders could be elected President of the United States of America. Following his announcement of candidacy for the Democratic nomination in the 2016 presidential election. Now is the time for a federal jobs program to create millions of decent bank jobs. Number 10, he fought for civil rights in the 60s. I was arrested uh, when I was a student uh, protesting uh, segregation of schools in Chicago. It's true. Bernie Sanders has an extensive background in civil rights as he was a student organizer for the Congress of Racial Equality while enrolled at the University of Chicago. African-American youth unemployment is totally off the charts. We've got to put young people to work. We've got to give them an education rather than putting them in jail. But his major challenge today will be convincing non-white voters of his policies rather than referencing events from half a century ago. Last night on a show of force, police in riot gear used tear gas and beanbag rounds to disperse crowds. In a time of social unrest and social media influence, Mr. Sanders will not only have to focus on the voices of minorities, but also to hear their collective voices. But anybody who thinks we're anywhere near where we should be in terms of creating a non-discriminatory society is dead wrong. Number nine, he'd be the first non-Christian president in U.S. history. The problems we face did not come down from the heavens. They are made, they are made by bad human decisions. And good human decisions can change them. Born in Brooklyn, New York, Bernie Sanders was raised by Jewish parents. His father emigrated from Poland after his family perished in the Holocaust, and his mother grew up in a Jewish New York home. An African-American has broken the barrier as old as the Republic, an astonishing candidate, an astonishing campaign, a seismic shift in American politics. America made history by electing their first African-American president in Barack Obama in 2007. And while Hillary Clinton may ultimately become the first woman to reach the position, and I hope you'll join me on this journey, it's perhaps fitting that a progressive-thinking non-Christian like Bernie Sanders is suddenly considered for the Democratic nomination. But it will not happen unless we stand up and fight back for not only ourselves, but for our kids 
and future generations. Number eight, he has a consistent progressive voting record. Middle class is collapsing, poverty is up, and the rich are doing phenomenally well. What do you do? While Bernie Sanders may be a new name to some, he's long been a defender of American manufacturing, climate change awareness, and both the middle and lower classes. You give one whit of concern to the middle class and working families of this country. That's my question. In 2003, he dropped some forceful words on Alan Greenspan, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve. And as television commentators will inevitably shift their attention to Hillary Clinton during campaign interviews. Is Hillary Clinton uh, committed to this cause, as are you? Wolf, you have to ask Hillary. Well, what do you think? I don't work for her. I don't know. Sanders remains steadfast about his concern for not only the next generation of Americans, but for all of those whom will inhabit the planet in a distant future. Those forced to live with any mistakes being made now. They're sick and tired of working longer hours for low wages, while at the same time 99% of all new income generated is going to the top 1%. Number seven, he supports universal health care. Over 18,000 Americans die every single year because they don't have access to a doctor when they need that access. That's wrong. This is a critical aspect of Bernie Sanders' campaign, and it's something that Americans can embrace. Rather than spreading paranoia about the threats of other countries, Sanders supports the healthcare model of Scandinavia and the concept that Americans should receive free health care as a fundamental human right. The United States of America remains the only major country on earth that does not guarantee health care to our people as a right of citizenship. Sanders' belief that more dollars should be spent on preventing disease rather than filling the pockets of officials resonates with many. Let's pass the cost-effective way to provide universal health care to all of our people, and that is through a single-payer system. Number six, he's a socialist. You uh, describe yourself as a democratic socialist, and uh, that is, uh, some would say, a dangerous thing politically to describe you as. Yes, Bernie Sanders is a socialist, and here's why. So I think when people understand that in those countries, governments are working for the middle class rather than the billionaire class, I think we can get our message across. In essence, Mr. Sanders is a socialist in that he's focused on protecting the lower and middle classes, along with the country in general. Me, I make a lot of money. Did you know that, Senator? I kind of guess yeah, so. Yeah, I, I make a lot. So uh, what is my income tax rate under your administration? What would it be? While TV commentators and pundits tend to fear and cringe at the socialist label, his supporters view Sanders' progressive thinking as one reason why he has historically dropped his partisan hat and thought about the larger picture. The time is long overdue for these major corporations to start reinvesting in America and creating decent paying jobs right here. All right, Bernie Sanders, everybody. Keep it going, Bernie. Number five, he has an honest demeanor and speaks his mind. We can't go around telling people we're a free country when either the government or the corporate world knows every damn thing about you. That's not really freedom. Okay, the idea of an honest politician is kind of a joke. But given Bernie Sanders' history as an independent, it seems like he may not care what people think about him when it comes to speaking the truth. He's a long shot. A long shot. I don't think he's going to be taken too credibly. Bernie Sanders is a socialist, for God's sake. After all, Sanders is a long shot to win. But his no-nonsense demeanor is far from an act. Does any of this matter to you? In fact, it just may be one reason why so many voters seem to support his potential presidential nomination. If anything, if 
what I would like to ask of you. Sure. Bernie may verbally stumble at times. But I do have some other attributes that are better than that. And he may not drop his Brooklyn accent to adapt to regional voters. But according to supporters, that's part of his charm. Number four, he doesn't deny climate change. The debate is over, except within the Republican Party. Right. Climate change is real. It is already causing devastating problems. Here's the thing. Either you believe modern scientists or you don't. While some politicians stand behind usual partisan viewpoints. God's still up there, he says. The arrogance of people to think that we human beings would be able to change what he is doing in the climate. Oof. Wow. See, I love that. He's mad. Bernie Sanders' independent and free-thinking mind appeals to young voters for whom the issue of climate change is a big deal. So what an honor it is for me to be part of this. Thank you very much, Bernie. Along with Senator Barbara Boxer, Sanders set in motion the Global Warming Pollution Reduction Act of 2007. And he's also voted against the Keystone Pipeline system. So we have got to defeat this Keystone Pipeline. We've got to rally the American people to do it. And we've got to get President Obama to be strong on this issue. Number three, he's anti-establishment, refuses super PACs. The Supreme Court said these entities will not be corrupting because it's independent and it's fully disclosed. And I think arguably neither of those premises is really being borne out by the reality of modern campaigning. Coined by reporter Eliza Newland Carney, the super PAC allows candidates to roll around in a pile of cash. But the committees may not make direct contributions to campaigns. They can, however, spend a ton of money promoting said candidate. With that being said, the anti-establishment Bernie Sanders is anti-super PAC. So I don't think we're going to outspend Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush or anybody else. But I think we are going to raise the kinds of money that we need to run a strong uh, and winning uh, campaign. By supporting the middle class, Sanders has received an average contribution of around $43 per donation during his brief political campaign. But when you add it all up, there's enough for an independent to make a serious run at the Oval Office. It's a lofty goal, but the method behind the madness is representative of the American dream. I don't need anybody's money. It's nice. I'm really rich. Unlike Donald Trump, Americans can relate to the ideology of Bernie Sanders. I think that we can raise a lot of small donations today. We opened up our website. We announced our candidacy, berniesanders.com. Uh, I believe in the first few hours we've raised already a half a million dollars. Number two, he's in favor of free or low-cost universities. We're wasting the intellectual capital of so many bright young people. Information is power, but unfortunately, higher education will break the bank. Today's college graduates find themselves in enormous debt upon entering the real world. I have around $30,000 worth of student debt. It's kind of like a dark cloud that hangs over you. And unless you come from an elite family, a good job is not always guaranteed. Bernie Sanders wants to put a Robin Hood tax on Wall Street speculation, which would ultimately create funding for free or low-cost tuition at public colleges and universities. The vision is the easy part, but young voters are leaning in. Senator Sanders' proposal is exactly what the broken system of the U.S. higher education system needs. 
A free education means a free society. A Bernie Sanders presidency gives America's students a shot at accessible higher education, rather than none at all, further explaining his rise. And maybe at a time when my Republican friends just decided to put another $38 billion into the military, Maybe we can cut military spending a little bit and put it into education. Before we unveil our top pick, here are some honorable mentions. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont is the longest-serving independent in the history of Congress. He's selling himself as more Jeb than Bush, but he is borrowing one thing from his brother, compassionate conservatism. So enough of the rhetoric, enough of the speeches, enough about how everybody loves the veterans. Now is the time for action. Number one. Policies for low and middle class instead of the 1%. What they are saying is Congress seems to deal with everything except the reality facing the middle class. You don't have to believe in climate change, free education, or even universal health care. But the fact remains that one-tenth of the top 1% in America has more money than essentially everybody else. Wall Street now is doing phenomenally well while the middle class is disappearing. And you want to know why the American people are angry and disgusted and frustrated? That's why. As a staunch defender of the common man and woman, Bernie Sanders hopes to distribute America's wealth by rebuilding the country's infrastructure, creating jobs, and slowly but surely changing the way of life for Americans. I propose spending a trillion dollars would create 13 million jobs over a five-year period. In other words, he wants to stop the growth of wealth inequality in the country. As the Bernie Sanders buzz continues to grow, it will be interesting to see if his popularity increases or stalls. Either way, his candor and progressive policies are hard to ignore. At the end of the day, they may have the money, but we have the people, and when the people stand together, we can win. Thank you all very much. I'm voting for Bernie Sanders. I'm not voting for him because I believe he'll implement a single-payer health insurance system or because I believe he'll end citizens united or because I believe that he'll actually be able to reach same class people or break up the biggest of the two big-to-fail banks. I'm voting for Senator Sanders because I believe that he will survive rather than potentially for the president inevitably. Sanders has put forth his agenda in terms of we need to, as opposed to I know. Anyone who believes that Sanders isn't allowed to have the book in contact with Congress, I believe that anyone who thinks he doesn't regard the needs of women and ethnic, he looks at his voting. As for those who seek to see fearing rather like drugs, he has served 16 years in the House of Representatives and in, is in his second term in the Senate. Perhaps he doesn't have direct foreign policy experience, but I think it's silly to assume that he doesn't get it. There are many reasons to vote for Senator Sanders, and tonight 
I've given you as many as I could. I'd like to close with a video put together by black voters for Bernie Sanders. When you get down to basics and you talk about morality, it seems to me that the least that we can do as a nation, a nation which has more income and wealth inequality than any other major country on earth, a nation in which the wealthiest people are becoming phenomenally richer, while we have over 40 million people living in poverty, the very least that we could say is that nobody in America goes hungry. That, I would hope, would be the least that we could say is a, in a civilized democratic society. Sanders tells ABC News he is in. It is Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont running for president. Earlier today, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders officially announced that he will run as a Democrat for the president of the United States. We now have a political situation where billionaires are literally able to buy elections and candidates. Let's not kid ourselves. They want to end Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, more tax breaks for the rich and large corporations. Nobody in America wants that except the billionaire class. And yet they are now able to put hundreds of millions of dollars into the political process. A great nation will not survive, in my view, when so few have so much and so many have so little. He has a set of consistent principles that he has run on his entire political life. I think Americans love authenticity and they think there's not a lot of it in politics today. And Bernie Sanders, like him or not, is authentic. Let's say this about Bernie Sanders. He is the rarest of commodities in Washington, D.C. He is truly an honest man. I've never run a negative ad in my life. I've been in many campaigns. And you ask the people of Vermont, they will tell you Bernie Sanders has never run a negative ad. I hate and detest these 30-second ugly negative ads. Obviously, we have to be strong in protecting our people from uh, terrorism, uh, but I don't think we have to undermine the Constitution and deny our people basic constitutional rights. I think what we have got to appreciate is when you have six financial institutions that have assets equivalent to about 60% of the GDP of America. You know what? Let's be honest. You can't regulate them. You'd break up the banks. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are too, if they're too big to fail, they are too big to exist. Middle class is collapsing, poverty is up, and the rich are doing phenomenally well. What do you do? What you do is say that in America we're going to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, and by doing that we're going to create millions of right, jobs. Geez. We've got to raise the minimum wage to a living wage, and over a period of years to at least $15 an hour. We as a nation are the only country in the industrialized world not to guarantee health care. 45,000 people die each year because they don't get to a doctor on time, which is why, by the way, I am a strong advocate of a Medicare for all single-payer program. Quality education in America, from child care to higher education, must be affordable for all. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders surprised everybody by raising more than $1.5 million in the first 24 hours after he announced. You have 100,000 people who have pledged to volunteer on the campaign already? No, actually we have 175,000. <laughs> All over this country, we have a lot of bright, decent, good people that say, you know what, the situation is hopeless. You can't beat the Coast Brothers, you can't beat the billionaires, you can't win, I'm giving up. That is exactly what they want us to believe. 
And I beg of you, do not enter that world of despair. We can win this fight if we stand together. Well, let me just say this about my political career. I, I think few would argue that it is the most unusual political career in the United States Senate. Um, nobody thought that I would be elected mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Uh, very few people thought that I would beat an incumbent Republican to become United States congressman from Vermont by 16 points. And people weren't so sure I could beat the richest person in Vermont to become a United States senator. So I would say, don't underestimate me. When millions of people stand up and fight, they win. Isn't that the best? Don't underestimate me. When millions of people stand up and fight, they win. <sighs> Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast tonight as I attempted to make the case for Senator Bernie Sanders for U.S. President. <sighs> we hope you'll tune in next week as we return to discuss the Black Lives Matter movement here in America the past two years have been a lot to absorb for us. So we want to offer our listeners and those that follow us online a chance to openly discuss their feelings on the movement, the pushback, where we've been, and where we're going. The Final Word podcast airs live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You can reach out to me and interact with our listeners through our social media platforms. On Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash The Final Word Podcast. It is now an open group for everyone on Twitter at The Final Word, P-O-D. And remember to follow us here on blogtalkradio.com, where we provide you a place to stream or download current or past shows onto your mobile device or computer. We're also available on iTunes if you need it simplified for you. Feel free to contact me with your show ideas via email or to talk about your feelings on Senator Sanders. The Final Word Podcast at Yahoo.com. I've gotten some really interesting feedback on last week's show on the crisis in Flint. So I'd love to hear what you think about Senator Sanders. I'm also debating if I want to do a show on Hillary Clinton in March. We encourage, as always, your comments and feedback. So tune in next Sunday, and let's see who gets the final word. Good night, everybody.